Pastor Josh and the family are on spring break today, so um, different people do different things as needed, and that's good. Thank you, Kristen. We are a land of independent people. We like independence. Everybody likes independence. We celebrate the 4th of July, which is called Independence Day. Our culture says, I am free. I will do what pleases me. I will choose my moral values. I will choose which parts of Christianity I like. I will choose what parts of the Bible I will follow. I will decide what is right for me and what is wrong for me because I am independent. Independent. In that atmosphere, people today like to create their own religion. We like the love and forgiveness of God. So we'll say, I'll take a little bit of the love and forgiveness of God. I like the tolerance of all beliefs, the, the peace of Buddhism, the reincarnation of Hinduism, because you get another chance or two. Um, I don't like hell, so we'll just talk about heaven. We'll just talk about all roads lead to the same God. It's called syncretism, of course, but I'm independent. I, I can choose. I, I will create my own religion. This independent spirit has created a culture that votes on morality. As long as we get enough people to vote for it, then it becomes right. This independent spirit has also caused a breakdown of the family unit. I'll divorce for just any reason I choose. No fault. Independence has produced couples choosing to live together outside of the marriage covenant. In many parts of Europe and a lot of places in the U.S., marriage is considered irrelevant, as most couples choose to live together rather than marry, with many having several partners over their lifetime with children strewn along the way as if an afterthought. The results of this spirit of independence, of course, is devastating to our children and families who desperately need stability. They desperately need two parents. They need a moral compass. They need set boundaries. They need knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. And it's into this, this independent picture that we bring Jesus, Jesus. We bring Jesus into the picture. And people choose to embrace Jesus Christ. They will say, I've prayed the prayer to receive Jesus Christ. I've decided for Jesus, but I do not care to live my life under new management. I really like my independence. These persons claim they made a decision for Christ, but their life remains totally unchanged. Becky Pippert writes this. She says, too many people have stopped at the door that leads to conversion. That door, be it a prayer or a decision or whatever, is simply that, a door. It was closed and it has been opened for one express purpose so we can go through it and get involved in life on the other side. Some have come to glorify their experience of the door when it was only meant as an avenue of passage to a new life. In fact, it's not our door experience, but our new life that demonstrates whether we have been converted. A true disciple of Jesus is one who does what Jesus does, obeys the will of God, and when Jesus called people to obedience, he was calling them to be accountable to God to begin living for him as he desires. Ah. 
To be converted means a reversal of direction, transfer of loyalties, a change in commitment leading to a creation of a whole new life in a whole new community. Obedience or independence. Now, obedience is not a very popular word in the church today. We would prefer words like love and grace, forgiveness and acceptance. And that's all part of what we practice. But the whole key to Christianity is the lordship of Jesus Christ. Am I independent or obedient? Independent or obedient? Jesus' call to his followers was one of radical obedience, unconditional obedience. Obedience calls for action, just doing it. One person said, it's paint or get off the ladder. Okay, it's paint or get off the ladder. There are other versions of that. Last week, we saw Moses getting directions from God. God's call to Moses' excuses. And you can imagine, he was independent. He was living his life on the desert, out in the desert, doing really well. And God gives him a call. And he had excuses, just like we have excuses. And today, we're going to move into Exodus 5 and see how Moses and Aaron handle their obedience to God. And and we'll see, obeying God's call is not always easy, but the results are incredible. Today, radical obedience. Some of you are saying, I wish I had stayed home today. That's okay. We're going to look at Ephesians, I mean Ephesians. Exodus 5. Exodus, the fifth chapter. We're going to read pretty much the whole chapter. It's on the PowerPoint as well as in in the Bible in front of you. It's on page 47. Exodus 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day... Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go out and get your straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foremen appointed by the Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or before, or today as before? Then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy, that's what you are, lazy. 
That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen realized they were in trouble when they were told you were not to reduce the number of bricks required for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. We're going to look at five facts of obedience today. Five facts of obedience. The first one is obedience takes faith. Obedience takes faith. Moses and Aaron had this great challenge in front of them. Pharaohs were considered gods in Egypt. People worshipped Pharaoh. Pharaoh had ultimate authority. You just don't drop in to see Pharaoh on the way home from work. And for two guys who were aliens, legal aliens, by the way, they were Hebrews and slaves to even approach Pharaoh took incredibly great faith. And even though their request seemed reasonable, they needed faith. They called this three-day event a festival. And we find that Moses and Aaron accepted their call, even though the job looked impossible. It was an incredible job. You know, Mo- Moses could have said, you know, I'm married, I've got kids, I'm, I'm 80 years old and close to retirement, I don't want to stir the pot and mess with my comfortable life. I'm comfortable. God called, and Moses obeyed. Moses obeyed. And his faith, as we discovered, did not rest on his own abilities, and their confidence was not in their own authority. Their faith was in God, God alone. Obedience takes faith. Obedience takes faith. Has God called you to do something that requires radical obedience? Has God called you to do that? God's word is is explicitly clear in a lot of areas, just a few. He says, make disciples. That's not the great suggestion, but the great commandment. Calling to share our faith with someone. Now, that scares a lot of people. How do I do that? How do we share our life? How do we share how people can come to Jesus Christ? That's not a suggestion. If you just think about it, do it. No, it's, it's a command, and that... That takes faith. He says, the Bible says, flee immorality. Flee immorality. Stay away from situations that compromise your morals. The Bible says, tithe. Give your 10% and God will provide. Now, two years ago, I preached on tithing. I usually only preach on tithing once a year. Otherwise, people say, all you talk about is money. I don't, I don't do that. But two years ago, I preached a sermon on tithing. And I challenged you all that if you did not have the faith, if you were not tithing, um, if you didn't have the faith to give full 10%, then try something, okay? And I know some would say this is graduated obedience. I call it kind of easing into the thing, okay? And I challenged this congregation, if you can't give 10%, start with 1%, okay? This month, next month, 2%, 3%, and, and just add a percent, 
every month and see, see what happens. See what, see what God does. See what God can do. Well, a young couple in this congregation, unbeknownst to me, took this challenge seriously, and they started with 1%. Now, I don't, I don't look at giving records at all, so, so I, I didn't know. Okay? They started with 1%, and the husband shared with me results that absolutely astounded them. They did it, and after 10 months, and after the first year, he said for 12 months later, they were giving the full 10% tithe. And now a year after that, he said, both our cars are paid off. We have more money in the bank than we've ever had. We have enough to take a great vacation, take care of this great family thing called a wedding. They, they were shocked. They said, we don't know how it works. And I said, well, we've discovered we can do more with 90% of our income with God's blessing than 100% without God's blessing. Let me say that. You can do more with 90% of your income with God's blessing than 100% without God's blessing. Give it a try. Tithing is the only place where God says, test me. He says, test me. Try it out. Give it a try. Obedience takes faith. Obedience takes faith. Could be tithing. It could be dating an unbeliever or marrying an unbeliever. Could be partnering in business with an unbeliever. In 2 Corinthians 6, it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Radical obedience, sometimes it takes faith. It takes faith. Radical obedience says, I will by faith trust in God to find my life partner, to find my Christian roommate, to find that business partner, whatever that is. Now, one of the things that God called on Aaron and Moses was to do something most of us are very uncomfortable with. It's confront, to confront to confront. Now, they were confronting Pharaoh. He was, <laughs> he was pretty imp- imposing. But maybe God is calling you to confront someone or confront sin in someone's life. Very uncomfortable area of obedience. James 5, 19 to 20 says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Galatians 6 1, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Very careful how we do confrontation. In love, gently, carefully. Sometimes that happens. Obedience takes faith. Obedience takes faith. Trusting that when God gives us a call and guidelines, a command, we have to trust that God knows best. The ministry of confrontation is difficult, it's messy, it's imperfect. But when our heart is right before God, he will produce a peaceful fruit of righteousness. Obedience takes faith. And it goes against independence completely. Now, for Moses and Aaron, God had commanded them to confront Pharaoh, okay? So they they did. Now, they didn't know 
how God was going to work. They didn't know the outcome for certain, but they did anyway. They believed God, and they had faith, faith in him. Obedience takes faith. Secondly, number two, obedience takes risk. Obedience takes risk. For Moses and Aaron, they got the wrath of Pharaoh, a false accusation accusing them of laziness. And he mocked their God. He mocked their God. Alan Cole says, as a heathen, he naturally would measure the power of their God by the existing condition of his people and infer from the impotence of the Israelites that their God must also be weak. So he mocked their God. It's, a, it's a kind of a dangerous thing to do. But even worse for Moses and Aaron than the wrath and mockery and accusation of Pharaoh was the alienation from their own people, the people they were trying to save. Moses had been forewarned that Pharaoh was going to say no, but I don't think he was prepared for the effect this would have on his own people. Verse 21, it says, you have made us a stench, literally. You made us stink, okay? Blame. Obedience sometimes carries risk. It does take risk. I remember as a high school student in Grand Forks, North Dakota, I was not a participant in the keggers and the drinking parties, smoking marijuana and taking drugs. I walked away when someone told lurid jokes or talked about their latest sexual conquest. I was respected, but I was also excluded. Excluded. Students today experience even more peer pressure. And if you resist, you're an outsider. You may be in a place of, of work. You may be in a neighborhood. You may be in a family that carries the same kind of risks. And you face exclusion because you stand for righteousness. Obedience carries risk. Or maybe in your relationship work, work context, you're being accused of being narrow-minded or a fundamentalist or one of those Christians, not open-minded, not woke, and intolerant, intolerant. Becky Pipper writes, the enemy of our age is the desire to be tolerant and open-minded. Let me say that. The enemy of our age is a desire to be tolerant and open-minded. But the problem with being too open-minded is that our brains fall out. It happens. We risk alienation from our own people, whether it's family, maybe fellow Christians as well for doing the right thing. Closer to home, maybe refusing to participate in gossip, not passing information along, refusing to join in a complaint session or negativism or criticism. It's very easy to be seduced into negativism and a critical spirit. And remember, if we criticize our church, we're criticizing your body. This is your body, our body. God calls us to love. Love. Obedience sometimes takes risk, standing up for that. Number three, obedience results take time. Obedience results take time. Obedience does not always bring instant results. Moses and Aaron were obedient, and what happened? Nothing good that they could see. Nothing good that they could see. The results were going to be over the long haul. They were going to take time. The results of living righteously and obedient to God may take a lifetime to see. 
might take a lifetime to see. There's a passage of scripture, and this really could apply to any one of us, but it's, it's a passage of scripture I've given to, to wives who've been in a situation where their husband was not a believer. 1 Peter 3, 1-2 says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Won over by loving them. The most incredible example of this was a, was a woman we'll all called June. That's not her real name. We'll call her June. She was a member of our church in, in Lakewood, uh, Tacoma, Washington. June came to Christ in a, in a dramatic, life-changing conversion, and she just emanated joy. She glowed because she just loved Jesus. Her husband, however, rejected Jesus for a long time. When we went to church at Lakewood, my first lead pastor, there were two children of preschool age, Brianna, our youngest, who was in the nursery, and Brittany, who was in the Sunday school preschool class. And her teacher was June. Brittany was the only, only kid in the class. Just one kid. And for the first nine months, June prepared and taught just Brittany. I used to walk by during the Sunday school hour, and I look, and there's, there's June teaching Brittany, you know, and I'm thinking, wow, most of us would say there's only one person in that class, but she did. By, by year two, she had about 10 to 15 kids in that class, and, and I want to say children's leaders, youth leaders, people who work with children, take heart. June's dedication to one person, just one, profoundly affected Brittany's life. One of the things that June loved was to teach about foreign missions, foreign countries. And our daughters, by high school and college age, had been on mission trips to Spain, Slovakia, Honduras, Costa Rica, and eventually Japan, Thailand, and the Philippines. And guess who sponsored and supported them in every one of those trips? June. June. She continued to send birthday cards every year until they were out of college. Talk about a long-term impact on children. But what about her husband? What happened to her husband? I remember June coming to the altar. We had prayer at the altar most Sundays. It's something that was part of the church culture. And almost every Sunday, she was there praying for other people and other needs, but always she prayed for her husband. Over the years, her husband decided he wanted to be separated, and he made June move out of the house and get her own apartment. Then he moved his girlfriend in. Over time, he became very ill with heart disease, and his girlfriend left him. He needed someone to care for him. He was almost helpless. So June moved back into the house to care for him. I don't remember how many years we had been gone when we received the news that June's husband was dying. That was the bad news. The good news was that through the faithful prayer and love of his wife, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. 
God called June to be faithful to her husband, faithful to ministry to children. It was amazing. And that verse says, even if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Obedience. Obedience results take time. Number four, obedience may make circumstances tougher. Obedience may make circumstances tougher. Say, great, I was just feeling good about this. <laughs> Moses and Aaron obey God, and what happened? Things get worse. They're accused of being lazy. They're given more than they can handle. Same quota of bricks, no help with the raw materials. And when they failed to deliver the quota, the foreman beat the people. So Moses comes to God and asks a question. In verse 22, it says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Why, why, why? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. One writer says the protest of Moses is one of the most human documents in the whole Bible. God has not yet kept his promise so far from being delivered. The Israelites are worse off. Why? Why? So Moses asked that question, why? In his book, Letters to a Young Poet, Rainier Rilke writes, be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Like locked rooms, like books that are written in a very foreign tongue. Or not now, seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. The point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Live the questions now. Good motto for Moses and the people of Israel. But where does that put us? That's the question. Live the questions. Maxie Dunham says, if we're not going to be dishonest, and if we don't want to be superficial, we must state it bluntly. There is no life apart from suffering. Most of our deepest learning and much of our best growth is a result of suffering or conflict. And how do we live the questions? We can live the questions when we remember who God is. God doesn't mind tough questions. Boy, you read the Psalms. Read Job. Man, talk about why questions. Why? Why? If, you, if you've said, why me, you're in good company. How many have ever said, why me? Why me? Yeah, God, asking God, why me? What is this? God doesn't mind tough questions. And when Moses threw his questions into God's face, God didn't answer the questions. He just simply reminded Moses who he is. He just said, this is who I am. This is chapter 6. Says, then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country, his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, 
where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenants. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with the outstretched arm and the mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore to with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Obedience brings God's promises. Number five, obedience brings God's promises. This is a reminder of who God is. Someone called these the seven I wills of redemption. Seven I wills of redemption. See, only God knew the whole plan. Only God knew what the plan was. Only God knew what he was doing. And honestly, if he had not made things uncomfortable, the Israelites would probably never wanted to leave Egypt. They would have never left Egypt. There was something that he needed to accomplish. It's always easier to stay with what we know and where we're comfortable than moving out into the unknown. Obedience brings God's promises. The seven I wills of redemption. There was deliverance, first of all, and freedom. So I will bring you out, I will free you, I will redeem you. Deliverance is freedom. Then there's letter B, there's belonging, family. He said, I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. There's possession, which is future. I will bring you to the land, I will give it to you. Freedom, family, and future. That is for us today. There's another act of obedience further down in history, taken by Jesus. Romans 5, 18 to 19 says, consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. This Exodus experience, everything that happens is a, is a picture of what's going to happen in the future. And as, as you go through the Bible, if you're reading through parts of the Bible, I, I was in Nehemiah this week earlier, and they recount the whole history of the Exodus. You look at the book of Acts, the whole of the book of Acts, whole of the book of uh, Exodus, the, the Exodus event is listed in the book of Acts. You look at the Psalms, it's referred to in Psalms. This book of Exodus, this obedience and this miraculous deliverance by God was the total, it, it was like the, the framework that God was going to use. And when the people of Israel now talk about their heritage, it always goes back to Egypt and the Exodus, the deliverance. And when Jesus came, we find out that the, not only the Israelites, but the entire world could experience deliverance. We all could experience redemption, belonging, brought into relationship with God. And this is becoming what we can be in Christ. 
Because the ultimate act of obedience, Jesus' death on the cross, is what brings us the promised new life. All of this is for us today. All of this came as a direct result of radical obedience, obedience of Moses and Aaron and different saints throughout history all the way down to Jesus. Obedience takes faith. Obedience takes risk. Obedience results take time. Obedience may make life tougher, but obedience brings all of God's promises. Radical obedience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us a realistic picture of, some of just some of the challenges that were faced. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to challenge us in obedience, that you would teach us how it is that you want us to obey. We thank you that you have a plan and you have a purpose for every one of us. And I pray, God, that we would ask you, what is it you want me to be? What is it you want me to do? By faith. In Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?